0: So we're seeing, we're seeing a little bit of a silver lining through that. Noah. We're seeing that companies are starting to or even more aggressively look at the shift to usage-based pricing and billing as a little bit of a panacea of how to navigate the downturn. Where usage-based pricing gives you know, them the ability to go back to their customers and say, hey, okay, I understand. Here's what I can offer you. Simply dial it down. You know, we don't have to say goodbye, we don't have to have a yes-no conversation, we don't have to have a subscribe or unsubscribe conversation, just uh, use less. My name is Puneet Gupta, I'm the founder and CEO of Amberflow.
1: This is Code Story, a podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries. Six months moonlighting. Nothing at the back who share what it takes to change an industry. I don't exactly
0: know it's what took to do many next.
1: goes to get right. Who built the teams that have their back. The company
0: is its people. The teams help each other achieve. Most proud of her team.
1: Keeping scalability top of mind. All that infrastructure was a pain. Yes, we've been fighting it as we grew. Total waste of time. The stories you don't read in the headlines. It's not an easy thing to achieve, Mike. Took it off the shelf and dusted it off and tried to begin. To ride the ups and downs of the startup life. You need to really work not just about technology. All this and more on Code Story. I'm your host, Noah Labhart, and today, need Gupta created the platform made specifically for API usage metering and usage based billing. For Puneet Gupta, his professional work and personal hobbies collide. He's been enamored with tech since his early days and finds coding to be quite therapeutic. He spent many years launching prominent cloud solutions and has a track record for success there. But outside of tech, he's a family man with two boys living in the Bay Area with his extended family too. He's into motorcycles and is falling in love with reading again. The story of Puneet's current venture goes back over 10 years when he found himself in the middle of the dawn of cloud computing at AWS. During that time, he was introduced to SaaS models and how these models can grow exponentially. Fast forward to three years ago, and through observing industry progression, he decided to create a solution to aid in usage-based pricing models. This is the creation story of Amberflow.
0: Amberflow, we enable businesses to track and charge on usage. So what's happening is, you know, more and more companies are shifting towards what's being called a usage-based business model or usage-based pricing or consumptive pricing. And we provide the underlying technology platform for companies to be able to do that effectively, accurately, and delight their customers with usage-based pricing and billing. So we provide what we call a cloud metering and usage-based pricing and billing platform to uh, fast-track companies into the modern usage-based business model. The story actually goes back to more than 10 years. The idea first came when I got, you know, found myself right smack in the middle of the dawn of cloud computing. So I'm one of those lucky ones. I got pulled into Amazon Amazon Web Services back in 2011, you know, very early days for uh, cloud computing, for AWS in general. So my team launched Amazon Cloud Search and Amazon Elasticsearch. Through that, you know, I first got introduced to this new model of um, selling software and services on the backs of a usage-based and business model. As a GM, you also have visibility and you run the PL for your services and uh, for your business. So I got to see both sides of it, you know, the underlying sort of the technology building blocks of what it takes to build and launch products and services. And then also on the front end side, what a business model that is backed by usage based, how it drives just organic adoption, lowers the friction. For user adoption and just really drives, you know, exponential growth. So that, those were some of the observations that I had from my time at AWS. Been around the industry like, you know, even before I came to AWS, I've been working for 15 years, so I'd, I'd seen other places, I've been to other companies, and I could immediately sort of contrast. And so this kind of stuck with me that this is the better model, this is the more mature, this is the more customer friendly model. I just had a long standing thesis that eventually the entire world is going to shift this way. And I know that's a pretty bold claim, or that's a pretty big, you know, vector to sort of think about. But that's when it got started. You know, just kind of seeing the progression from, let's say, 2011 onwards, now, you know, more than 10 years out, I could see that gradually things were going in that direction, not just, you know, AWS and other cloud providers, but sort of the next generation of companies who had started were also leaning on this model, or the ones who had actually started from the ground up on this model were really experiencing some phenomenal success. And there was data coming out that they were, at least in part, attributing that to this new business model. About three years back, decided to drop everything and start Emberflow.
1: Let's dive into the MVP then. So tell me about that first product you built. How long did it take you to build and what sort of tools did you use to bring it to life?
0: You know, our story was and is slightly different. You know, the opportunity that I saw and then, you know, the folks who came along with me to start the company was that there is a fundamental shift. There's a, the ground is sort of shifting from underneath us. And what I refer to that is, thus far, the primary business model or the dominant business model is the subscription model. And business model don't don't change very often, if at all, ever. Our view is that this is really for the first time where the technology industry, software industry in particular, is experiencing a business model change. So if that is the case, then the opportunity is just profound. It's huge because if that shift is the shift that's going to happen, it's going to ripple through just about every functional area inside a business. So when we look at it from that lens, that is where we saw the opportunity that there's there's an opportunity to essentially consolidate some aspects of this change. So it's not just a single slice that we are taking and we are rushing to market to sort of go and attack that, but it's really foundational. What that means is really taking a platform approach and building the platform out and then situating a series of applications on top of our own platform. And then the question is, okay, so how do you kind of go down that path? Because that is that is inevitably a heavy lift. And within that, how do you prioritize? So we kind of had to go through all of that. But we ended up building essentially two products. And I know this is sort of counter to the conventional startup thinking. But in our world, because of that long-term view, we had to actually do quite a bit of build out before we were ready for sort of this canonical MVP and go present it in front of customers.
1: That's actually an interesting transition into my next question. So with any MVP or, or two, you have to make certain decisions and trade-offs about how you build that, what you need to build first versus taking on technical debt and things like that. So tell me about some of those decisions you had to make and how you coped with those decisions.
0: Surprisingly, it, it wasn't that big of contentious issue, so to speak. While I say, okay, it's sort of two products, but that's just really sort of in the parlance to kind of express that we, our playbook, was slightly deviated from the traditional startup MVP. Ultimately, of course, it's a single product, you know, it's it's a single platform, let's put it that way. But within that, yes, we have to prioritize what do we do first, what do we do second, and so forth. So we knew we had to first build the foundation. And if we are to enable our customers to be successful and make this shift to usage-based pricing and billing, we knew that we first have to build a platform layer called metering. We have to basically build a cloud metering service. We can say, okay, that was our first product. In fact, for the first 10 months, we did nothing but build out the cloud metering service, the building blocks, the foundation on which usage-based pricing business models are going to be built. So we were clear, and this is a little bit of a heavy lift, so it takes a while. And this is with the fact that the team already had pretty good idea about the design principles and how to actually build a metering service, make some of those design decisions that will come true when you are at scale. So we've had, you know, experience and advantage of seeing that before. So that's sort of how we got underway. We knew that this was really the starting point. There was no other way to kind of get this right, albeit it would take A lot longer than what it might take a traditional startup so that was our starting point took us almost about 10 months to just really heads down build the foundational the building blocks then we started layering as we said okay the second mvp the actual application that the customers are going to engage with to build their customer facing pricing plans we call that the pricing and billing application that sits on top of the metering platform so it took us close to two years to actually build this entire set and get to that MVP stage collectively that we can now expose it to our alpha beta customers and then chart the way forward.
1: You're two years down the road, you've got the MVP, you're getting some traction from those alpha betas. How did you progress the product from there and mature it? And I think to wrap that question in a box a little bit, what I'm looking for is how you built your roadmap and how you went about deciding, okay, this is the next most important thing to build or to address with Amberflow.
0: First, okay, so our gestation period was definitely, you know, a lot longer because it's a heavy lift and it took us a better part of two years, actually even a little bit more than two years. Now that we got, you know, those basic building blocks and then we started to engage with the series of alpha beta customers. Now within that customer pool, there are some candidates who surfaced as quote unquote design partners. Now I say that with a little bit of caveat, design partners not in the sense of we don't know what we're gonna do or let's have a conversation to see where the pain is and then we'll go back and build this thing from the ground up. Now we're about you know 70, 80 percent there, right? And the design partners are engaging with us and what are some of the initial use cases or pain points or you know where their customer base is and how do they like to see their pricing plans drafted out, built out, and how they envision their customers engaging with it and where do they see these integration points. So that's where we had a series of design partners that then shape our further roadmap. After the fact that you know we had built about 70, 80 percent of it, and that was key. Despite the fact that you know I claim we've come from a place where uh, we've seen it, we've built and experienced these technology artifacts, it's always uh, brand new, right? You you cannot just take some experience from the past and just kind of replicate. You always have to kind of figure out where to turn, where to turn left, where to turn right. So that's the stage where we engage with design partners and then move forward with them. And they help shape sort of the immediate roadmap right after that.
1: Let's switch to team then. So how did you go about building your team? And what did you look for in those people to indicate that they were the winning horses to join you?
0: We did have a core group of folks who came together with knowledge and passion for what we wanted to do. So that actually got us started and got us off the ground. And when I say got us started off the ground where, you know, there was a ready pool there where, you know, we just got done working and uh, started building out. And this pool of four was enough for us to, you know, do both, set sort of the, uh, the technology foundational building blocks, the primitives, but also start to shape our culture and what we would be looking for in the next set of team members that who would come and join us. And when I say culture, obviously, you know, that's a loaded term, but not just how we operate, what is our vision and ways and how we want to build and scale the company, but also who we are looking for in that person, what is sort of the DNA, those attributes. So that gave us that foundation. And with that foundation in place, we went and looking for additional members and we had a fairly well-defined lens and filter to sort of take them through and vet potential candidates if they'd be a good fit for us. So That's how we started to scale initially. You cannot go very fast with that in place so we were aware of that and we were conscious of the fact that we'll just you know we'll do the hard work it will take longer to find the right set of folks but uh, we were Inclined not to lower the bar, or for that matter, just keep consistently a high bar to get folks in.
1: Let's flip to scalability then. Given, you know, the product that you've built, this will be super interesting, and, and how long the MVP took as well. This will be super interesting. Did you build this to scale efficiently from day one, or have you been fighting this, or are you fighting this as you grow in any sort of capacity?
0: We certainly built it for scale from day one. And I'll tell you why. In our case, that was the only thing we could do. So I talked a lot about the platform approach to solving this problem for our customers. You first have to fundamentally build out a platform of metering, a metering platform. The moment you say platform, you know, we, we come from a school of thought where platform and scale are pretty much synonymous. You cannot have one without the other. So be very clear. What is it that you're building? And if you're building a platform, then scale has to be part of it. In this posture, it's very hard to go back and revisit some of these design choices. Right. So even though you're a startup, you're nimble, you can turn around and you know do things quickly. But nonetheless, technology is such a thing, software in particular, that once some of these design decisions have been made, no matter whether you're a startup or large or mid-sized company, it's very hard to go back and revisit some of those design principles. So for us, it was important that we achieve scale, we build something for scale from the ground up. So much so that the internal narrative for us building the metering service was that we're building the metering service for the world. What I mean by that is our vision is to dominate the world where anybody who thinks or feels the need for a metering service, they should land on Amberflow. Uh, And that was sort of the big goal in mind that, you know, let's build out for that. We could take that on, uh, like I said, partly because we've We've spent some time at some large cloud providers where we have seen things at massive scale. So we essentially built it for scale and it's now starting to show and it's starting to separate us from the crowd in terms of the customers that we're engaging with and what we are already transacting in terms of traffic.
1: So as you step out on the balcony, you look across all that you have built, what are you most proud of?
0: Team, hands down. First is of course, just the team that got started and what you and I just talked about I think it's one of those things that certainly is easier said than done. It's almost like a cliche. Everybody says this, you know, just like everybody says they're customer obsessed. But it's hard because you have to make some uh, some tough calls. Uh, you also may have things that may slip through the cracks and you have to quickly, quickly fix that. That takes effort. That takes a strong will to get that right. And it's not something that it's, you know, a one and done. You have to continuously be working at it. So that is something we are spectacularly proud of. Our engineering team, you know, just solid product engineering. And we are seeing ripple effects of that into now other functional areas that we're now starting to staff up. So that is something just super proud of.
1: Let's flip the script a little bit. So tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it.
0: It wouldn't be a startup if you hadn't made mistakes. Like, you know, despite the fact we just talked a lot about, you know, team culture, you know, things slipped through the cracks. So we've made mistakes there. I probably would say we're the first companies to to get started to tackle this problem, right, of the industry shifting to usage based pricing and billing. And we got underway. In fact, you know, the company was formed in 2020, but, you know, we've been at it since even a year before that I have been. When we were in this Build out mode you know, for these uh, two years. One of the things now, when I look back, I think we could have done a little bit of more outreach and kind of build a little bit more of a groundswell. Because I mentioned to you, you know, for us, it was a long gestation incubation period of two years, but we were essentially just silent. We you know we were just all heads down building. So I would advise, or you know, just one of the things I just kind of say back to myself. You know, those two years were a sort of pivotal time. While yes, we were all heads down building it, we could have done some more. Reach out and kind of build a little bit of a groundswell or some kind of a waiting list if you would would. That's something I look back and I might have do might you know do something different next time around.
1: Okay, so what does the future look like for Amberflow the product and for your team?
0: Future's looking good. You all seen, you know, there's a downturn, companies are doing layoffs, downsizing, whatever you have. You know, unfortunately, the first things that that happens anytime there's a downturn that's looming, unfortunately, employees are the easiest to cut for cost savings. So that's what we're seeing right now, right? Companies after companies kind of doing their layoffs. But inevitably, it's also rippling into budgets being tightened up, right? Or budgets being cut. The ripple effect of that is that if you are a company selling into, you know, your customers, their budgets are tightening. And if you are in a competitive landscape and you are not the top leader in that, then you are experiencing longer sales cycle or your customers are coming back to you and saying, hey, we just don't have a budget to continue this relationship. So we're seeing, we're seeing a little bit of a silver lining through that, Noah. We're seeing that companies are starting to or even more aggressively look at the shift to usage-based pricing and billing as a little bit of a panacea of how to navigate the downturn where usage-based pricing gives you know, them the ability to go back to their customers and say, hey, okay, I understand. Here's what I can offer you. Simply dial it down. You know, we don't have to say goodbye. We don't have to have a yes-no conversation. We don't have to have a subscribe or unsubscribe conversation. Just uh, use less and I'll give you a plan. I'll give you a pricing plan and a contract that is aligned with that. And let's write this downturn together and uh, things start to look up again, and dial it back up again. So we're seeing a little bit of a windfall from that. So that's uh, already adding to just generally where the macro momentum is shifting towards a more customer-friendly, more transparent, usage-based pricing and billing model. We're benefiting from that.
1: Let's switch to you, Puneet. Who influences the way that you work? Name a person or many persons or something you look up to and why.
0: There uh, There have been several, you know, I've been around for a while, you know, 25 plus years experience in uh, in the industry, working career. I've drawn nuggets all along the ways. One of those just kind of wakes up every day. Every day is a new day and there's a learning opportunity. I will say that, you know, my, my time at AWS, I consider that to be seminal because I've been at other companies and I realized that this place was special with regards to how they were able to really sort of have a perfect cohesion of culture, discipline, frameworks, innovation process, and all of that. I mean, it's almost like, you know, it's a case study. So I'm, you know, I'm a student of, you know, these kinds of case studies where at scale has somebody been able to do that because particularly as a startup or even as an individual, that's a good North Star to kind of have. So that has been a great experience. And within that, you know, there were some leaders there that I got a chance to work with, learned a lot from them. So they have, more recently, I'd say, you know, in the last sort of 10 years or so, largely influenced my lens of thinking, even day to day, both not just work, but also personal and family life.
1: We talked about a mistake earlier, but this is a little different spin. If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do different, or where would you consider taking a different approach? Doesn't have to be a mistake. Could have been something that worked out even well, but maybe you tweak it a little bit.
0: Maybe I think we. Would have stepped on the gas a little bit uh, sooner and more aggressively on a go to market. So sometimes I think about it again, you know, I don't think we missed the boat or anything like that, but I think what surprised me is that the convergence on this trend happened sooner than I, that even I, I believed it would. We knew that the world was going to shift in this direction, but these shifts are not easy. These shifts are not, you know, they don't happen very often. So This was going to be a gradual shift. And what surprised me is I think how fast it is happening and really kind of getting to that inflection point much sooner than what I had originally anticipated. In hindsight, because it it got pulled in, I should have or could have sort of pulled in also our go to market right alongside with it. And I think we might have gotten a little bit bigger gap there than in hindsight, you know, or today, you know, I'm sort of comfortable with But in hindsight, I might have looked to bridge that gap.
1: Okay, last question. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world and can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit?
0: I'll give, you know, I'll give that person the same advice that that I sort of uh, live by and is sort of my north star. And that is that, you know, develop the muscle to look at things and make decisions from a long-term lens from a long-term view and i guess understanding again this is easier said than done and and perhaps that you know it is pretty loaded what does that even mean can it even apply to just everything that i'm thinking about but it really is it's, it's profoundly liberating and it's profoundly efficient, let's put it that way. And I think particularly so for startups. So maybe a little bit counterintuitive, but it's particularly suited for and applicable to startup because in startups, you know, the decisions can really have immediate and then, no pun intended, long-term effects and impact. How you make those decisions in that moment of time is really important because you're just getting started and this will potentially live with you for the rest of your life or certainly will shape the trajectory of your startup. So just taking a step back, whether it's, you know, anything related to product, vision, customer, employee, take a step back and just kind of look at it, you know, from a long term lens. What does the world look like? What does the company look like in two years, four years, five years? What are we setting out to do? Work your way backwards from there and then assess that situation from that lens. And believe me, the level of clarity that it will bring to you, you know, it's amazing. That's
1: fantastic advice. Well, Puneet, thank you for being on the show today and telling the creation story of Amberflow.
0: My pleasure, Noah. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.
1: And this concludes another chapter of Code Story.